0: Hello, Women in Charge listeners. I'm Allison Benedict, Slate's executive editor, and I'm thrilled to announce that I'll be hosting season two of Women in Charge, which will be releasing early next year. I was lucky enough to host the final bonus episode of season one, in which I interviewed my boss and season one host Julia Turner before she took off and abandoned me for the LA Times. But I'm pretty excited. I've got big plans for season two. I'm hoping to talk to women who are leading sports teams, religious institutions, a rock band, a fire department, a public school district, and hopefully a dance company because I always wanted to be a dancer. But actually, I'm not here to talk about Women in Charge. I'm here to introduce you to a terrific new podcast Slate just launched this week. It's called Who Runs That? And it's hosted by my friend and colleague, Seth Stevenson, who every week will interview the CEO or boss type person of a brand some chunk of people feel really loyal to. In the first episode, which you can hear in just a few minutes, Seth interviews Carla Gallardo, the founder of the women's fashion company Cuyana. It's a really fascinating conversation. But before we get to that, Seth's actually here in the studio with me right now. Seth. Congratulations. Hi, Thank you. <laughs> a new show.
1: Yes, it's exciting.
0: It's really great. There are a bunch of CEO interview shows. Tell us how this one is different.
1: Well, for one thing, we're hoping to pick companies that our listeners will find really interesting, companies that maybe are at an interesting point in their development or companies that have just had some fascinating thing happened to them. In this case, Kuyana just had Meghan Markle photographed with one of their handbags, which, uh, you know, for a company targeting 30 to 40 year old women is kind of the number one global celebrity you could have photographed with your product. So I get to ask her about that. But the other thing is, I want to go into the business weeds maybe a little bit more than your average CEO interview. And not in a way that you need an MBA to follow along with this, but in a way that you walk away and feel like you sort of got some insight into how business is done or saw how a CEO can sort of see around the strategic corner a little bit. I think that happens with Carla Gallardo a couple of times. For one thing, she talks about this insight that she had where um, a lot of the big fashion brands were moving their manufacturing to Asia for cheaper labor and cheaper factories. And it left behind these boutique factories and boutique craftspeople in places like Italy and Scotland. And she was able to take advantage of that and and get this wonderful craftsmanship, this like centuries-old craftsmanship, and use it because they were suddenly available. Um, So I think you walk away learning a little bit about business. You learn a little bit about the CEO also. Um, So I hope people will enjoy it.
0: I think they will. Uh, You have interviewed several CEOs over the years for the Wall Street Journal magazine.
1: I have, and for Slate, yes. And for Slate, and for Slate. (laughs) And for other magazines as well, yes. I get around.
0: (laughs) But how are you thinking, is it different the people you're thinking you want to interview for this show versus who you're interviewing for? a Wall Street Journal Magazine cover.
1: Well, a lot of the interviews that I've done in the past have been of people sort of at the very top of the game, like the CEO of Instagram, the CEO of Twitter, or Snapchat, or Patagonia. And in this case, I I do want to interview people who are in charge of important, famous companies, but I also want to interview people uh, who lead companies or organizations that are on the way up, that maybe not everybody has heard of, that maybe have this very devoted fan base, but for the rest of the world, they're still new names.
0: Uh, tell us a little bit about who else you're talking to this season.
1: So we're talking to a lot of CEOs of very interesting companies. Among them are uh, Betterment, the financial advisor company where you can put your money. It's, it's increasingly, especially young people who may in the past have put, you know, they save up a little money, they want to invest it, they would have put it in Fidelity or Charles Schwab. A lot of them are now putting it in Betterment, which is a slightly different kind of company. I talked to that CEO. Um, talked to the CEO of Carnival Cruise Lines, of Elf Beauty. Elf Beauty is a, a, an affordable makeup brand that you might find in Target or Walmart. Um, Kiki Pants, which is a clothing company that has had a lot of success marketing baby clothes with a special kind of fabric. Uh, Rent the Runway, Field Notes, the stationery company, and then we did a special Small Business Saturday episode with Big Gay Ice Cream, which is an ice cream brand, and a Giving Tuesday episode with Do Something, which is a nonprofit that targets young people.
0: Okay, so at the end of every episode of Who Runs That, you ask a lightning round of questions. Let's do a quick one to end this. Oh, please do. Yes. Open office or closed?
1: closed office Allison you know as well as I do this slate open office that we have everyone just wears headphones no one can gossip with each other because everyone else can hear it so it actually just tamps down all the possibility for like organic you know conversational interaction I thought was much better every time I've been in an office where closed doors you could go pop in somebody's office and close the door and gossip about your coworkers. I thought it was actually the communication was better.
0: Feel free to just pull me aside anytime you would like to gossip.
1: (laughs) I don't have an office to do that in.
0: Well, there's like, you know, there's spaces. (laughs) We could like huddle in one of those phone booths. Okay, what's one thing you think most CEOs don't understand about their employees?
1: Uh, I think it's, it's very easy to lose touch with the lifestyle trade offs people are making when they're earning limited amounts of money as opposed to unlimited amounts of money. I mean, you look at the ratio of CEO pay in the U.S. today, and this isn't true of every company, but a lot of companies, the ratio, you know, they're getting paid 40 times that of your average yeah. employee. And I think it's very hard to keep touch with the kind of choices and tradeoffs people make when they're making a regular wage as opposed to a CEO wage.
0: Okay. Last question, if you could lead any existing company, and this is a big and, and be good at
1: it, which would you choose? It would be a company that makes sailboats or sails, (laughs) because I'm a recreational sailor, and I just want to spend all my time on docks or on water or, like, just tying knots. And it would stuff. be so
0: sad if you got to be the CEO of that company and you'd actually have to spend all your time like in an office and spreadsheets. It would ruin it, right? You turn anything <laughs> into a
1: job, and it would ruin it. It'd be like, yeah. God damn, I'm on a boat <laughs> again. I just want to be in my house. Uh, yeah, it would probably ruin it. But I'd like to imagine me like singing sea chanties all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like to I imagine that too.
0: Okay, awesome. On to the first episode of Who Runs That. If you like it, which I know you will, please subscribe to the show in its own feed. It's the best way to support the podcast and the journalism we do here at Slate and Seth's dream of becoming one day a CEO of some kind of sailing boat corporation. Again, subscribe to Who Runs That in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks and enjoy the show.
1: Hi, and welcome to Who Runs That. I'm your host, Seth Stevenson. This is the show where I'll be talking to CEOs of companies that make things you love. Today on Who Runs That, I'll be talking to Carla Gallardo. She's an Ecuadorian immigrant who moved to the United States to get an applied math degree at Brown, then went on to get her MBA from Stanford and launched a women's fashion brand called Cuyana, which is based in San Francisco. Their breakthrough product was a leather tote that's become beloved by professional women. One of her bags was recently seen on the arm of Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex. In our discussion today, Carla Gallardo will explain why when she looked for funding to start Cuyana, she focused on women investors. She'll talk about how she was able to use smaller factories and specialized craftspeople in places like Italy and Scotland that got left behind as bigger brands moved most of their labor to Asia. And she'll lay out how Kuyana's direct-to-consumer model lets her offer products at a fraction of the price of her competitors. After the break, Carla Gallardo, CEO of Kuyana. At Merrill Lynch, it all starts with you, the you whose paycheck just got bigger the you whose house suddenly feels smaller. Whether it's a dedicated advisor, self-directed investing, or a Merrill Lynch professionally managed portfolio, Merrill Lynch provides advice and guidance to help you live the life you want. Subscribe to the Merrill Lynch Perspectives podcast to join an engaging conversation that goes beyond the headlines to look at our ever-changing financial world and how it impacts our lives. Investing in securities involves risks and there's always the potential of losing money. Merrill Lynch makes available products and services offered by Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith Incorporated, a broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, member SIPC. Welcome to Who Runs That? Our guest today is Carla Gallardo. She is the founder and CEO of Cuyana. Welcome to the show, Carla.
2: Thank you so much. Super excited.
1: So for people who aren't familiar with Cuyana. Tell us what kinds of products do you sell and and just tell us a little bit about the business.
2: Sure. So Kuyana is a direct-to-consumer brand. Um, Our philosophy is founded on the intentionality of buying fewer, better pieces. We make accessories and apparel for women and we focus on those needed pieces for our day-to-day as busy women. Um, So everything from leather totes to backpacks to pouches to organize our products inside of our bags, um, all the way to apparel pieces like silk blouses and silk dresses to Pima cotton tees.
1: And who is your core customer? You, you said women. Is there a certain age group that you tend to be more focused on?
2: You know, the interesting thing about our brand is that we focused on a clean aesthetic and clean design. And so we um, we're actually able to attract a very wide demographic in terms of age. So our customer age ranges from anywhere between 20 years old, all the way to even 65 years old. And it's a brand that mothers and daughters are proud to wear together, uh, which is something that that's rare to find. Um, The core though, our target demographic and the one that we market as a brand is um, the woman between 30 to 40 years old.
1: And so tell me about how you launched Kuyana. What is the origin story? When did you begin with this?
2: The true origin uh, begins with a thought in around 2002, which was my second year uh, living in the U.S. and my sophomore year in college. And um, I'll take you back all the way to my childhood because that's important. Um, I grew up in Ecuador and I was raised in a home of fewer better things, um, not necessarily, you know, as a choice, uh, but really because the financial situation in Ecuador is such that um, you grow up thinking of purchasing, you know, as like you do of, of investing. So you don't just buy things; you invest in things, and you think of your purchases as long, long, long-time purchases. And at least that's the way it was when I was young. Um, and so at home, we really thought of everything we bought and. Um, my father was a very big influence in, in my upbringing, not only in kind of thinking this way and always focusing on quality, but also in pushing me to think bigger than the average Ecuadorian uh, woman and pushing me and my sister both to leave Ecuador when we were 18 and to get our education here in the U.S. Um, and so I left Ecuador uh, you know, with this big responsibility of taking advantage of this great education I was going to get. And even though my heart and just as a customer, I always really, truly loved the fashion world, and I used to make my clothes with a seamstress back in Ecuador, I embarked on this journey of getting an applied math degree at Brown and then eventually moving on to a banking career uh, in New York and Wall Street. So fast forward to my days at Goldman, uh, when I was a banker working in New York, having that job that I always dreamed of and that, you know, my family was so proud of. After a little over three years, I realized that this was, you know, just was really reaching kind of the top in terms of what success meant for my family at home, but it wasn't really success for me as a person. And I was really missing uh, making more impact to the world. And I had this business idea itching, which was the creation of Kuyana and this brand that would connect customers to the products and how they were made. Um, And I really wanted to go out there and do it. And so I left my my great job. And um, I moved to California uh, to get my MBA at Stanford, because for me, you know, letting go of such an incredible job wasn't going to be done from one day to the other. I wasn't just going to quit and start this business. I really wanted to take it step by step and learn how to get started with a business, build a network that would support me through it, and then take that leap of faith. Um, So I ended up here in California and graduated from Stanford. I worked for about a year at Apple. On the online store getting experience and uh on the on the digital side of the world i'd never worked in a digital channel before and 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 that was a great opportunity for me and then i left to start kuyana and what happened in all of those years of kind of transition is that the market actually set itself up for the creation of kuyana On the one hand, the supply chain was wide open for small brands to work with luxury factories, Um, and through globalization and the move of a lot of the big brands on to produce in Asia, there were a lot of amazing factories left behind in the world that were open to doing business with small brands, and this is a moment in time back in the early 2000, about 2000, yeah, early 2000s.
1: How did you figure that out? How did you become aware uh, that that there were these small factories that maybe you could work with that were being left behind?
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of these micro industries aren't hidden, right? We're talking about leather in Italy, leather in, Argentina, um, Kashmir, and Scotland, and uh, the decay of these micro industries was already on the news, right? So, industry uh, factories shutting down, family factories going out of business, and so while everybody was moving on to China, uh, you know, for me the opportunity was on. Well, let's go back to those factories that have years of experience on specific luxury materials, and see if we can work with the survivors.
1: So, in order to launch this. You need to start getting funding. Tell me about that. How did you fund this dream?
2: Yeah, it was really tough back then. I mean, we we're, were starting this company in San Francisco. So Silicon Valley venture investors here were really our target. However, the hard thing about this was that number one, this was a business that held inventory and investors back then were not investing in companies that held product. The second part is that investors didn't really understand the concept of brand back then, right? They weren't investing in, in, in companies that were building brand and making product. And then the third challenge that we had is that this was a company made by women for women and from a customer standpoint, it's a beautiful concept, and uh, you know the branding is something we're really proud of. The design of the product is something that you know fits a, a wide demographic. But the true intelligence is in the behind the scenes, and what we encounter it is that when our audience was male, we were stuck on explaining what brand is and why this all these like beautiful kind of um, front end aspects of the brand are so important for a woman customer. Uh, instead of spending time on our supply chain, on the unit economics on our repeat rates, and on and on why this wide gap in the market of luxurious products for affordable pricing was really where the big business opportunity was. Um, and so we shifted gears to pitching to the very few women venture investors that were out there. And the interesting thing is we found this board on Pinterest and back then Pinterest was really happening. And somebody had made this board with, These are the top women angel investors, also VC investors. And so that became our new target list. And we decided to just pitch to women so that we can spend all of our time talking about the business side. And that was successful. And and one of them, Maha Ibrahim from Canaan Partners, believed in the concept and spent most of our time you know talking about the supply chain and the marketing side and 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 why this was going to be a big business and she wrote us a check
1: okay so now you're talking to a man now obviously i'm not your target market although i will say my wife does have multiple Kuyana totes so i'm, fami- I'm oh, familiar cool. with the products. Um, <laughs> but can you tell me what what were the the male uh funders you're talking to not getting about brand what is the thing that's hard to understand what is your brand and what's important about that
2: Yeah, uh, you know, number one, um, back then the model of choice for investors was the subscription model. Uh, And so, you know, the question always was, well, why don't you push a product every month? Uh, Why does the woman consumer care about where the product is made or care about the quality? Or, um, you know, why does brand matter? Like, can't they buy a tote anywhere else? Why wouldn't they buy it from Coach? Um, So, I mean, the bottom line answer really was about the fact that the consumer was changing and she wanted a better choice. She wanted better quality. Logos didn't matter anymore. But the substance of the product mattered, and so really getting to that intangible of what the customer of today was looking for was something that was hard to explain with words. Um, many would say, "Let me go ask my wife what she thinks." And so that that you know, just understanding this, this truly Kuyana really addressed the customer need right? It was not just one more fashion brand. Uh, We were targeting the customer that was tired of low quality products out there that were overpriced. Uh, You know, our woman needs, uh, our customer needs products that are going to transition her from day to night, from a week to weekend. She's busy. She's a mom or she's not, you know, she's just on the go. Um, And we needed, the need was to create a brand that offered quality products that you could count on and products that made you feel elegant and dressed up, whether you were picking up your kid from school and walking right straight to the office right after, or whether you were leaving a meeting from work and going straight into dinner. And so those just softer aspects, um, you know, were things that definitely could spend time um, explaining and talking about, but the real substance and like really the smart pieces of our model were not in that customer insight that it, It was a more natural aspect to understand when you are a woman, and understandably so, right? I think that you know if you're pitching me and a a product that's really deep into a male customer need, I'm not going to get it uh, Mm -hmm. unless you spend more time explaining that to me.
1: Mm -hmm. And then you said there are these objections to companies that hold inventory. I'm sure when you were at Stanford Business School, a lot of your classmates were launching things like apps where there was like, you know, you don't actually touch any product, everything, you know, there's a user and you're connecting people and you're just off in the cloud somewhere. Did you feel some pressure to do something like that? Did you feel out of step with them because you were doing something that actually had a physical product and inventory?
2: No, I mean, to me, this is why this was so much more interesting because we were being so smart with our inventory and that's what we spent all of our time uh, with Maha on, right? We had developed this optimized model in the back end where we could actually be much better about inventory than the traditional retailer. Um, And the interesting thing is that, you know, a company like ours doesn't burn the amount of money that a tech company burns. And so we are actually using that cash to buy product that actually has a value.
1: And you said there was, you felt like there was this gap between luxury goods and, and affordable goods, and in between you get sort of affordable luxury is a term I've heard. Where were you thinking yeah. about yourself on the pricing spectrum and the quality spectrum and where you could fit in?
2: Yeah, I mean, there is this big category called contemporary the contemporary category, where it is It was the beginning of this affordable luxury concept a few decades ago, Um, but what we saw through time is that the original uh, value proposition of luxury quality for a more affordable price um, started to deteriorate as a lot of these companies started to struggle with margins and, you know, cutting costs and a lot of the delivery of this quality that was there years ago um, wasn't there anymore. So customers started to be disappointed with, with that. And so the, the idea of Cuyana uh, of was to come in and actually deliver on that level of quality, but do it at a smarter price.
1: So maybe you can give an example of sort of the price of one of your products, and what you get for that price, and, and what it's up against its competitors, what you might pay for something else and what the quality would be for that and what the differences are.
2: Yeah. So at Cuyana, we have a saddlebag that's made in Italy, and it's priced at $295. And we make it in a factory in Italy where other luxury brands make their products.
1: And briefly, just describe what what is a saddlebag? What, what kind of product are we talking about?
2: Oh yeah, so a, a, a saddle bag is a crossbody bag that um, I mean you can wear on, or, on your shoulder or you can wear it crossbody. It has a, a shape of kind of a semi circle a little bit, not not so much, but um, it's it when you open the flap inside, there's just one large container when you can put all your products. Ours has a pocket as well with a zipper so that you can organize your 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 you know the, the products that you put inside in, in a better way. Uh, okay. But it's a I've got it's a bag that image. woman. All right, great. And you can carry it <laughs> in the weekend and, and kind of, it's like a perfect weekend bag, like you, when you're just walking around and, um, you know, it's not a bag that holds a ton of things, but it's just a, a nice bag to put your wallet in and, uh, and, you know, your makeup and cell phone keys, et cetera. So, so yours is
1: at $295 and is made in yeah, Italy. Yeah,
2: so made in Italy. So comparably a luxury brand that makes their products in Italy and probably comparable factories is... Um, Sells a saddle bag for eighteen fifty with similar materials, probably a little bit of more hardware than us, but that's what a saddle bag made in very similar factories with similar materials uh, would sell at um, if you were buying it from a luxury brand. And obviously, uh, sorry, not obviously, but um, there is the piece of luxury that. Um, that is the exclusivity and the factor and the, the premium that's embedded into that price point, right? So when we think of luxury, we we, we think of that price point, including that brand premium.
1: So you're saying uh, you, you might have the same materials, the same craftsmanship, but there's an, a name and maybe slightly different hardware, but there's a name that you're paying the extra $1,600 or $1,500 for?
2: Definitely.
1: What's definitely. the name? You can tell us. You can tell us the name.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, Celine has a saddlebag. Chloe has a saddlebag. Most uh, luxury brands that focus on brands have a saddlebag. It's not exactly our design, uh, but the price points are north of, you know, $1,500 for a saddlebag from a luxury brand.
1: But Meghan Markle was recently photographed holding your saddlebag, which must have been pretty exciting, right?
2: Yes. It was super <laughs> exciting. She was actually wearing the mini version of our saddle bag, which is priced even lower than the two ninety five. But uh, but yeah, it's super super exciting. But I think that the point is not luxury, because luxury luxury is something. And by the way, I as a customer admire. Um, there's a reason why those bags are priced at that price point, and you know, there's an exclusivity factor. There's the designer um, aspect of what luxury is about. Um, what's interesting is that. When you think of all of those other contemporary brands that I was talking about and what the contemporary brands offer, which is kind of the place where Cuyana is coming in to reinvent, a brand that's kind of positioned in the map, you know, at that contemporary level, sell a saddle bag that's made in China, not in Italy for 595 dollars and so that is the perfect example of how kuyana is coming in to give you a better offering to that customer because we're not only making our bags with better materials and in better factories um and when I say better, by the way, I don't mean that China is bad, but Italy has a true history of leather making and true heritage in leather. Um, so it's it's more specific to that specific product, right? But um, and so you have Cuyana coming in to offer a bag that's um, half of the price of these other contemporary bags. It's made in a factory that's more specialized in that in, in leather. Um, and so overall, that offering ends up being much much better.
1: So how do you make your margins work? If you're still paying for the Italian factory instead of the Chinese factory, if you're still paying for the high quality leather, but you're selling it for, you know, like a thousand dollars less or or, or or even more, how are you making your margins work?
2: Because we don't distribute through other channels. And so uh, we don't have other uh, retailers needing to make a, a, a margin of the product. And so we sell direct to consumer. And so our consumer is able to buy our products at the wholesale price. If we were to sell the saddle bag that's two ninety five, to our customers through another retailer, say Bloomingdale's or, or, or any other uh, retailer that would carry Kuyana, the price point of that bag would have to be three times what it is right now. to 3 times what it is right now. So we would have to sell it at anywhere from $500 to $750. And that's when we start then being priced at a similar level as the other uh, contemporary brands.
1: And so was this direct-to-consumer model, was that baked into your idea from the very start? Yes. And what that means is it, it means people can buy the bags from your website or they can buy them. You have a few brick and mortar stores that we'll talk yes. about more later, but but that's where they can buy it. But they can't buy it on Amazon. They can't buy it at Bloomingdale's and Air department store or anywhere else just directly from you.
2: Exactly right. That said, the other channels are starting to think about distribution differently because of the creation of all of these direct-to-consumer brands, which are the brands of the future.
1: And when you talk about these other direct-to-consumer brands that are that are you know, maybe the, maybe the future, just for our listeners, what are some sort of famous direct-to-consumer success stories that so they can sort of picture what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, I mean, my favorite and really the inspiration behind uh, the the direct-to-consumer model at Cuyana is Warby Parker, and they were really the leading brand in this direct-to-consumer model, and they're uh, focused on eyewear, but they were the first to think about it in this way.
1: I feel like you just, we, we mentioned Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle was photographed with your saddlebag. I feel like for a women's brand targeting women 30 to 40, that is like the number one possible person that you could have your product photographed <laughs> with. Um, so first of all, was that, did you have any involvement in that or was that pure happenstance?
2: Yeah, you know, I can't really comment on that, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Um, What is the impact of having Meghan Markle photograph with one of your products?
2: I mean, it's great. Um, I'll say that there was a point in time where, you know, a celebrity or an influencer wearing a brand's product would make that brand a hit, right? This is back in the day where you didn't see celebrities and influencers on Instagram every day being photographed with every single product they wear, right? Um, that time is no longer here. So even though it is such an amazing lift for our brand and obviously for our sales, and it's just, it's, it, we, we are so honored that Meghan Markle wore our bag, um, you know, it's It's not the kind of peak of our, it, it, it's not what's going to make Kuyana a success in the coming years. Um, and so 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 that's, that's all I can say. We are so honored. Uh, and it, it's definitely a peak in our sales.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you see the, bump. <laughs>
2: we see the um, bump. We see the bump. We see
1: the bump. Okay. How else other than possibly having some involvement you can't comment on with with having Meghan Markle carry one of your bags. How else do you market Kuyana?
2: Yeah, you know, the, our, our key ingredient is a happy customer. Uh, most of our sales and most of our growth has been driven by our own customers' uh, word of mouth and our customers buying other customers' gifts from Kuyana. You know, we, we, that's how it started and, and it continues to be the strongest driver behind our growth. Um, we also have other efforts that we are actively uh, doing internally to grow the business. We talked about retail being one of them. Um, we focus on digital marketing as well. Uh, we do some grassroots marketing too. Um, but the, all of these efforts are uh, done in a way that continues to be very authentic to our brand and our goal is to grow the business in a way that um, the experience of the customer continues to be top-notch, right? So we, if we get to a state where we're opening too many stores and the experience in the store starts to not be as high of, uh, with the high standards that we envision, then we'll be careful on, on doing that too fast. I think what you've seen in the past few decades are brands growing too quickly and quality getting deteriorated or the experience or customer experience giving being deteriorated alongside that growth
1: when you started kuyana and probably now you're not very different probably from your target customer in lots of ways you probably identify with them fairly closely can you envision a time where you get to a place in your life where you are sort of different from your target customer could that happen is that something that you think about or fear
2: no i actually don't you know we we i, I told you we have customers that are older than 60 that come to buy from us. Um, the awesome thing about this brand is that you don't grow out of it, right? It's a brand that it can be, be your brand for your your all your adult years. Um, so I don't envision that. And that's the cool part of building this, that even as I grow up <laughs> in age, I get to understand the customer and, and her different stages in life um, and what those transitions are about. And we, we you know, we, we, We've done some studies and some work, and it turns out that kunyan is a very appealing brand for women when they're going through a transitional state, right, when they're moving up in their career and they need to start feeling more sophisticated or elegant in the office, when, they, um, when they're when they going through the years of uh, becoming a mom or kind of getting married and when, to so basically when wardrobe changes need to happen and when you need to start thinking differently about what you wear. Um, and, and that happens all the way through the later years, you know, your body changes, babies happen. Um, Uh, Your taste starts changing, right? You start going from the trend focus to more of the classic focus, and that's exactly what Kuyana is
1: about. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now, and after that, we'll be back with more from Carla Gallardo of Kuyana. At Merrill Lynch, it all starts with you, the you who's always last to leave, the you who hopes to be first to retire. No matter what your priorities are, your dedicated advisor provides one-on-one advice and guidance to help you live the life you want. Subscribe to the Merrill Lynch Perspectives podcast and get a better understanding of our changing world and how it could impact your financial future. Listen as Head of Global Research Candace Browning, Chief Investment Strategist Michael Hartnett, and Chief Investment Officer Chris Heisey dive into fascinating subjects like why smaller American cities are driving economic growth and the good and bad effects of artificial intelligence. Subscribe today to the Merrill Lynch Perspectives podcast. Investing in securities involves risks. Merrill Lynch makes available products and services offered by Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith, Incorporated. B of A Merrill Lynch Global Research is research produced by B of AML Securities, Inc., and or one or more of its affiliates. Each entity is registered as a broker, dealer, and investment advisor, members SIPC, and wholly owned subsidiaries of Bank of America Corporation. Investment products are not FDIC insured, are not bank guaranteed, and may lose value. Okay, I'm going to move to our lightning round. Are you ready? Tell me. <laughs> okay, open plan office or an office with doors that close?
2: Open plan office. Why? Um, there's uh, there, Communication is key and things change a lot in a startup. And when everybody can overhear what's going on, we you can just quickly get together and, and do it. There are no secrets in our office.
1: But can you still maintain that with like 100 employees or or does everyone just start putting on their headphones and ignoring each other because it's we've gotten like too big?
2: (laughs) Uh, yeah, it starts getting hard, but there's still teams that are, work really closely with specific teams. And so uh, it, it, up, up until now, it continues to be beneficial to have an open floor plan. Uh, but we actually, we're constantly evaluating it. And so right now, you know, the merch team with marketing team and creative teams are very close to each other. And it's really easy for them to get work done throughout the day. They do only need to go and get into a meeting room to answer like three minute questions that they
1: have for each other. What other companies in any field do you look at in Envy?
2: A bunch. Okay. So for brand purposes, um, I look at luxury brands and how they've built their brands and the choices that they're able to make and, you know, forego uh, sales for a big stake in the ground about who they are and who they target. So I love brands like Chloe, I love brands like Celine, uh, who can say what they stand for and not care what other people say. Um, From a people standpoint, in terms of um, culture building and uh, and allowing uh, your team to create their path and culture and give a lot of autonomy, to the employees, I really like uh, the cliche of Google, but you know, for to me, a lot of what that company has done is, is really interesting, and in how that plays into just human nature, and, uh, and and so I so I love looking at them. Uh, Zappos is a big inspiration for me from an operational standpoint and, and, you know, the real insights of what made that business successful. Uh, There's a book that was written by one of the Zappos founders that was actually a book I read before I decided to start Kuyana um, after business school, and it was like a real inspiration for me. Um, Those kind of three buckets are the ones that I look at. So, you know, combination of brand, people, and then processes, operations.
1: (laughs) What mistake have you made in the past that you've learned the most from?
2: Uh God, it's, it's so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> we we make mistakes all the time. Pick your um,
1: most embarrassing mistake. Okay. The one you would least like to reveal to a, a national audience.
2: <laughs> Oh, my goodness. It's probably been, and, and this is one of my weaknesses. I have no notion of who is famous or who's um, who's a celebrity or, you know, who... Many times I just don't recognize that, and there have been many times where uh, that actually has played to my advantage because, I'm, you know, I get to meet people and I'm just myself and I don't get nervous about that, but I think there have been a couple of times where I've probably offended people for asking them what they do, um, and, and maybe that has cost us some <laughs> some. So, some some time in terms of going back to build the relationships, depending on who on who those people are. Um, but those are more more kind of you know uh, silly mistakes. Um, you know, I I I just think you know in terms of just managing. Teams and motivating people to do work while it's stressful, you know, there there's the stick and the carrot method of motivating uh, folks and toggling between the two and kind of learning the personalities and, and what works for different types of people is really kind of the ongoing learnings that we have internally as we continue to build the company. Um, and I think that that's something that you know we constantly even talk about across companies with other founders uh, and how do we get to motivate. Um, motivate the employee, the, you know, the new kind of generation of employees that are joining our companies. And and so applying what, what I, how I was, how, the, the, the kind of um, methods that were used when I was a, a junior employee versus what, what we should apply today is very different.
1: <laughs> if I told you tomorrow that you are fired from Kuyana and you can never again do anything remotely related to what you're doing right now with Kuyana, what would you want to do with your life?
2: You would take my life away (laughs) from me. Uh,
1: (laughs) But I just uh, did. I just did that. Now what?
2: Yeah, I would probably start another company. I am so not done building. Uh, You know, I have a dream and I want to build it and I'm so excited about it. And if you took it away from me, I'll probably figure out another dream and start building it. I just love creating and building from scratch and all the challenges that come with it.
1: Carla Gallardo, thank you so much for coming on Who Runs That.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: That's our show for today. Who Runs That is produced by Cameron Drews and Cleo Levin. The senior producer for Slate Podcasts is TJ Raphael. The editorial director for Slate Podcasts is Gabriel Roth. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening.